0: So I, uh, for a living, I spend time studying God's Word, and this week, uh, this particular passage that we're going to be in, which is Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24, uh, and then the, if, for those of you who are reading the Bible with us uh, th- through the New Testament this year, we were in uh, First Thessalonians, and I felt like this week, chapter two and chapter three of Thessalonians were just talking about the, the kind of pastor that. That God's people really need. So I felt super convicted. And then this, studying this passage about, you know, our treasure and our wealth and our hearts and all that, I was even doubly convicted. So I, I literally had this moment this week where I'm just in my office thinking like, man, I am not enough, you know. And uh, good thing, though, I, I have a Savior who is, right? So let's uh, open up then to Matthew chapter 6, page number 1504. Uh, We'll look at verses uh, 19 through 24. And You guys are, sounds like you're already all there waiting on me now, so. Okay, hear the word of the Lord. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great Is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand your word, that we might see the good news of what you've done for us in Christ, and see your law and be moved to obey it out of gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when you go to the doctor, uh, sometimes the doctor can start asking questions that don't necessarily seem related to anything, although you kind of get where he may be going. Uh, he, uh, He or she might ask questions about our diet, you know, whether we're eating enough fruits and vegetables, Uh, They might ask questions about whether or not we're getting 30 minutes of vigorous exercise at least three days a week. Do we smoke? Uh, How many alcoholic drinks do you have in in a given week? Are you um, experiencing any major life stressors like a recent job change or a move or uh, some kind of debilitating illness or something like that? And implied in each one of these questions is that we should be eating right. That we should be getting plenty of of exercise, that we shouldn't drink too much, that we should avoid stacking together too many life stressors in any one year. And depending on how we answer these questions, it gives the doctor an understanding of our overall physical health. Well, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has been causing us to consider our overall spiritual health. So in chapter 5 Uh, He talked about what God's law really requires of us, which is so much more than simply mere outward external obedience. And then now he turns to chapter 6. And two weeks ago, we looked at the obligations of the Christian life, and we were asked, are you generous? Are you self-controlled? And are you using tools like fasting to build your self-control? Are you praying? And the question wasn't just, are you doing these things? The question was, why are you doing these things? Are you doing these things to be seen by others, or are you doing those things in secret to be seen by God alone? And then last week, Pastor Martin took us into the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus helps us to see the heart and the content that should characterize our prayer life, essentially asking us, is this what your prayers are like? Because like a good doctor, he's helping us understand the true condition of our spiritual health. And just like the doctor's piercing questions imply whether or not our physical health is good, so Jesus' words help us see whether or not our spiritual health is good. So this morning, Jesus asks us about our wealth and our treasure as a way of diagnosing our hearts and our eyes. So first we're gonna look at diagnosing our hearts and our eyes, and then the second point is curing our hearts and our eyes. And for those of you who think, oh, we're only having a two-point sermon this morning, let me assure you, that first point I have 3 subpoints, which are all just as long as my final point, so it's really a four-point sermon, so I tricked you. Um, But you'll understand why I organized it the way I did as we go. So first, diagnosing our hearts and our eyes. So my three sub-points here are really uh, the three sections of our our short passage this morning. And uh, each one could be framed as a question that a doctor might ask. And uh, so I've turned them into questions. So the first question we're going to look at is, where is your treasure? Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is commanding us to do something, to store up our treasure in heaven. He's commanding us not to do something which is not to store up our treasure on earth. And then he gives us two reasons why we should do the thing he's commanding us to do and why we ought not to do the thing that he's commanding us not to do. And the first reason that he gives us is that if you store up your treasures on earth, they're not gonna last. If you store them up on earth, what's gonna happen is bugs and rats are gonna get in and eat them, which literally would have happened at that time because they stored up grain in uh, in giant storehouses. Uh, They didn't have basically fake money like we do that just appears on our phone that maybe doesn't even exist. They had actual money that could be, uh, that could rot and deteriorate. And it can be stolen. Whereas in heaven, these things last forever. Our treasure that we place in heaven is invincible. The other reason he gives us for why we ought to store up our treasure in heaven rather than on earth is because... Wherever we put our treasure, our heart is going to follow. And when we think of the heart, uh, we tend to think of the heart as either the physical you know, organ that's beating inside our chest, or we think of it as like our, our emotions or our feelings. Right? There's this saying in our culture, just follow your heart. Right? Whatever you want to do or whatever you desire, just do that, and, and you'll, be, you'll be satisfied. Uh, but at this time, both Jewish and Greek thought Uh, The heart encompassed so much more than just our feelings or the mere organ beating inside our chest. The heart referred to, and this I got from uh, the dictionary, the Greek dictionary, it's the center and the source of the whole inner life. That's what the heart is. So it's not just our feelings, but it's also our emotions, our desires, our loves, and our thoughts Everything. This means that if we invest our treasure in stocks, business ventures, real estate, then our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts are going to be captured by whether the stock goes up and down, or the business succeeds or not, or whether the real estate gets developed, Our heart follows that. This happened to me, I I bought stock in Tesla. Apparently Tesla is a volatile stock. It keeps going up and keeps going down. I couldn't do it, I sold it. I just couldn't deal with the stress of it because my heart was going up and down with it. If we put our treasure into remodeling our house, our thoughts are gonna be all about remodeling our house. If we put it into our clothes and our makeup and our hair and how we look, our heart is going to follow. We put it into our vehicles or our hobbies. No matter where our treasure goes, our heart follows. Our desires, our thoughts, our time will be powerfully drawn to wherever we put our treasure. We'll get apps on our phone to track it. We'll have newspapers come to our house to tell us all about it. If we follow home repair people on Instagram, we'll buy tools and toys and spend our money, right, on the weekends so we can use our tools and toys. Jesus is basically saying that this is a fact. And actually, we all know this is true. We all know this is true. And the reverse is also true. If we put our treasure in the local church or the local gospel mission, If we put our treasure into missionaries who are taking the gospel to Weston Ranch, to Compton, to India, to the Middle East, guess what will happen? Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts will gravitate towards those things. We will long to see God use those ministries. We will love them. We will long to see them grow and prosper. We may even spend our free time traveling there, So that we can be with the people that we're sending our treasure to support we'll pray for them we'll read update letters with excitement and passion we'll celebrate every instance of repentance and faith that they report to us we'll tell other people about the wonderful work god is doing through our church or through things like the gospel mission now that being said there's nothing wrong with buying stock or real estate, or clothes, or toys. We are called to be wise and to save, and to invest, and to be good stewards of our resources. We are called to take care of our family and provide for them. God wants us to enjoy the good things of this life that he's freely given to us, and Jesus is actually not saying otherwise here. Notice he doesn't give us a checklist for exactly how to carry out this command. He simply tells us the mere, the mere fact that wherever we put our treasure, there our heart's going to follow. And so this can actually go both ways. So there's this gospel in our culture today called the prosperity gospel, which essentially says that if you give money to all these causes, all these Christian things, that the God's going to give money back to you and he's going to double and triple whatever you give. And then if, and if for some reason he doesn't, it's because you don't have enough faith. And that's a a sick and debilitating gospel because it's not true. And even though on the outside, formally, it looks like we're putting our treasure in heaven, really we're putting our treasure back on earth, hoping that if we invest in heaven, the return is gonna be for us here on the earth. The other thing can also be true. We can invest in things for heaven. I can imagine a businessman who has to put money back into his business because he so desperately wants to provide a living wage and health insurance for his employees. And so on the outside, it looks like, oh, here's this man trying to build up this wonderful business, when in reality, what his heart is invested in is the people that he loves and cares for desperately. And so there's no specific law that we can give that from the outside we know whether somebody is Putting their treasure in heaven or on earth and so the real answer to this question of where is your treasure is wherever your heart is wherever your heart is but jesus takes the knife a little deeper into the next question the next question he's asking us is what are you looking at now some have suggested that jesus is changing subjects here Uh, But our hearts and our eyes are connected to each other. So if our heart is wherever our treasure is, our eyes will naturally follow. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus goes on. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So there's two ideas here. First, two ideas here. First is the idea that our eyes are a lamp. So just picture, you know, like a robot with like light coming out of your eyes. That's kind of the idea here, right? Our eyes are shining the way in front of us and we go the direction that our eyes are pointed. Uh, This is another thing that I think we intuitively know is true. When I was first learning to water ski and wakeboard, everybody kept telling me, look at the back of the boat. Look at the back of the boat. And the reason they were telling me that is because I wanted to go where the boat was going. (laughs) And if I looked at the back of the boat, there was this natural almost connection to my physical body and then my ability to actually go where the boat was leading. And then once I got up on the skis and and learned how to kind of stay up, that was pretty exciting, but then I wanted to get outside of the wake and I wanted to go back and forth. What would they tell me? Just look where you want to go and that's where you're going to go. So I would look outside and all of a sudden I would just start drifting off to this way. I didn't even know how it happened. I can't even tell you why it works like that. But we we go wherever our eyes are pointed. But then Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So this is a different idea. This is the idea that our eyes absorb whatever they see. So not only do our eyes lead us, but our eyes also take in whatever they're exposed to. So they're they're both leaders and vulnerable receivers at the exact same time. Have you ever heard the saying, we become what we behold? We become what we behold. It's true because whatever our eyes see, whatever they take in, that's what we become like. If we watch five hours of Fox News or CNN every night, chances are, we will become very much like the people we see on TV, angry and frustrated. And then we're going to be angry and frustrated about the same things that they're angry and frustrated with. And we'll have every bit as much power to do anything about it as them too. If we look at internet sites or watch movies and TV shows filled with violence and adultery, or if we watch fixer-upper shows or follow social media accounts that fill us with envy because everyone's life is more perfect than ours, then our whole body will be filled with those things. We can even get stuck on good things if we fill our eyes with our career or our business or our family or our hobbies, even though those are good things we can so fill ourselves to the point where there's no more room for God. So the question is, are our eyes leading us, or are our eyes passively receiving whatever we look at? And the answer is both. So Jesus is diagnosing our spiritual condition. Wherever our eyes are leading us toward, and whatever our eyes are consuming tells us whether our eyes are healthy or not. If our heart is on our treasure in heaven, then our eyes will lead us in that direction and fill our body with the light of heaven. If our heart is on our treasure on earth, then our eyes will lead us toward that, and that will fill our bodies with the fading, rotting, vulnerable darkness of earthly treasure. And only healthy eyes can see the light. Only healthy eyes can lead us in paths of righteousness. And so we can know whether our eyes are healthy or not based on where they're leading us and what we're exposing them to, to fill our bodies with. That word translated healthy here can uh, mean either good, single-minded, or generous. It's got a wide range of meaning. And that word translated healthy can, can mean evil and wicked and jealous So Jesus is asking us what we're looking at, because whatever we're looking at tells us whether we have healthy or unhealthy eyes. If we're looking at good things, if we have a single-minded devotion on things that are worthy of looking at, and if we're generous, that tells us that our eyes are healthy, and they will lead us in paths of righteousness toward heavenly treasure, and they will continue to be filled with the light of life. But if we're looking at evil things, then our bodies will be filled with wicked things and we'll be jealous and full of envy and anger and fighting. And our whole body will be full of that kind of darkness. Wherever we put our treasure tells us where our heart is. And wherever we put our eyes tells us whether they're healthy or not and whether we're filled with light or darkness. But then Jesus says something really strange. The last sentence there, he says, if then... The light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? Let's be honest. Light cannot be darkness. We all know this is true. But spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, it's possible to think that we're in the light when we're really in darkness. And this is what Jesus has been trying to expose in the Pharisees throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to help them see that they think that they're in the light, but they're really in the darkness. And when you're in that condition, actually, you're in the darkest of darkness. In John chapter nine, Jesus is in a conflict with the Pharisees and he says this to them. He says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, it's when we think that we're in the light, that we are in the darkest of darkness, which can kind of be scary when we say that, right? It's possible to think that we can see, but to really be in darkness? It's possible to think that we have life figured out, that we have God figured out, and that we are walking the true path of light and life, Jesus is saying that, that it's possible to think that we're, we're okay when, when really we're in the darkest of darkness. That's even darker than the person who's filling their whole body with greed and immorality and murder. At least that person knows they're in darkness because God's law is written on their heart. So this is the person who pats themselves on the back because I put all my treasure in heaven, giving to the cause of Christ. This is the person who believes their eyes are leading them in paths of righteousness because they never watch five hours of TV. They never look at envy-inducing, violent, adulterous material on TV or websites. This is the person who feels like they have all the right theology and all those people are the wrong ones. So how do we know if we're that person? How do we know if we're the person who's deceiving themselves and whose light is really darkness? Well, Jesus asks one more question. He asks us, who is your master? And he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is talking about a slave relationship here. Because we will serve someone or something. We're just that kind of creature. We're the kind of creature who must serve something. We all have a master, and our heart will be with whoever our master is, and we'll look at anything anything that gets in the way as our enemy. We'll despise it. We'll hate it. Our eyes will lead us wherever our master wants us to go. Our eyes will fill our bodies with whatever our master wants us to fill our body with. And Jesus wants to ask us, where does your time go? What captures your thoughts and your desires and your imaginations? What fills you with longing and hope? What are you looking at? What are you staring at? What are you beholding? What does your money go? Because that will tell us who our real master is. The word translated money here is the Greek word mammon and, and it just means wealth and possessions which tells us that Jesus is warning us to consider where our treasure is and why is treasure such an important thing to use to sort of unpack where our hearts really are? And I think, I think the reason it is, is because treasure or wealth or possessions is a, is a different kind of master. They can be an idol whether we have them or not. We can be just as consumed with wealth and possessions that we do not have as we are with the ones we do have. And because money is also the best way to have every other idol. Money buys us pleasure. It buys us the feeling of success and security. It buys us power and status in the world. And it's the best ticket to every idol that the world has to offer. And money doesn't actually even care who our master is. If our master is power and pleasure or our own pride, money is happy to help us serve those masters. But we can only serve one master, Jesus says. So who is our master? Is Jesus our master, or are we serving something or someone else? Because if he is our master, we will put our treasure in heaven. Our eyes will be healthy, and they will lead us down healthy paths. And they will fill our body with the light of life. But this question also exposes whether or not we're the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks they are in the light when they are really in the darkest of darkness. And how does it do that, you ask? Well, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I, too, will love them and show myself to them. And so you read this and you think, Well, Pastor Patrick, wouldn't the self-righteous Pharisee be the person who thinks that they're obeying this, too? Wouldn't the self-righteous Pharisee be the person who reads this and says, Great, I'm keeping all of... All of Jesus's commands. Possibly, but this has been one of the main purposes of the Sermon on the Mount this entire time. To help us see that not a single one of us apart from Christ is able to keep the commands of Christ. Anger is actually murder. So we're all murderers. Divorce and even looking that someone else with lust is adultery, so we're all guilty of adultery. Just performing religious obligations, even though we're required to perform them, for some other reason other than to please our God in secret, is to not perform them in a way that keeps Jesus' commandments. Last week Pastor Martin reminded us that it's so easy to ask God for our will to be done but do we actually mean it when we pray your will be done? See in this Sermon on the Mount Jesus is helping us to see that on our own we're all in darkness no matter how good we think we are and we don't get to pick which commands we have to obey and which ones we don't have to obey. Our culture Our own denomination looked at this verse at Synod a couple weeks ago. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And some people look at this verse, and the only sins that stand out to them are drunkards, adulterers, and homosexuals. And they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is true. But there's another kind of person that looks at this list and they ignore that greed is on this list. See, if we baptize sexual immorality and call it good like our culture is telling us to do, then our light is the darkest of darkness. But if we ignore that greed is on this list, then we're in danger also of having our light be the darkest of darkness. Because we can only serve one master. Either we serve the God of this age who calls evil good and tells us that we can be whoever we feel like we are and that we can do whatever our hearts desire with our bodies. Or we can serve the God of this age by worshiping our money and everything it can buy for us. Or Jesus can be our master and we can worship him alone. So where is our treasure? It's wherever our heart is. What are we looking at? Whatever our heart tells us to look at. And who is our master? We can only have one. So Jesus, the great physician, he's diagnosing our hearts. He's showing us all our idols, which takes us to our final point, curing our hearts and our eyes. So here's the truth, friends. Not a single one of us can change our heart. Not a single one of us can do anything about our eyesight. And not a single one of us can free ourselves from our masters. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. We need a new heart. We need new eyes. We need someone to come and free us. If you're here this morning, which should be every single one of us, and you recognize that, that your treasure is still here on earth to some degree, if you've recognized that that your eyes go to things they ought not to go to, if you've recognized that there's, there's masters, slave masters of sin and death whipping their whips in the back of you, telling you where to go and what to do, then you are not alone. But there's good news, Christian. There's good news because we have a king who can change our hearts, who can open up our eyes, and who can free us? King David committed adultery and murder. He comes before this God and he prays this. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, this is the prayer. That the the great sinner, (laughs) the one who's putting treasure everywhere on earth and sinning big, and also the great self-righteous saint, who God is showing us just how deep our sin goes. This is the same prayer that we all get to pray, because we're all humbled before the cross. The cross says that all of us are worse than we ever thought we were, but it also says that we're more loved than we ever thought we were as well. And the cross invites every single one of us to come before this God humbly, knowing that all of our sins are forgiven in Christ and that we have a God who will change our heart. And David gives us the actual words to pray. And then we look to Jesus who is the light of the world and he fills our bodies with light. He can make us want to put our treasure in heaven. He can lead us in paths of righteousness and he can help us with the constant tension we're gonna feel about whether we are or not. Am I saving this money to keep it for my own greed or am I saving this money to be wise? Honestly, I asked myself this question this week and that the truth is probably both, probably both. And next week we're gonna talk about the anxiety that we feel when we really do let go of our treasure. And Jesus is gonna ask us to trust him because he's a good and gracious God. Here's how it all happens though. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 says this, the God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So we hear the gospel message. We hear that God sent his own son to come and live and die for sinners. And then he did that, and then he suffered on the cross, excruciating agony. That word excruciating just means out of the cross. And he did it because we were his treasure. He did it so sinners like us could look at a passage like this and recognize the depth of our sin and our total inability to do anything about it. But then we could then look at one who could. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So Jesus had all the treasure in heaven, And he left it to become poor here on earth, and he left it because he wanted to share the treasures of heaven with sinners like you and me. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. That word ransom is defined this way. It's the means or instrument by which release or deliverance is made possible. So Jesus comes, he pays the price for our sin, he frees us completely from the power of sin and from the fear of death, and so now as as Christians who believe this truth, when we recognize that we're still living as if we're enslaved to those things, we don't have to be, we don't have to be, when we realize that that in our own sin and fear and wanting to be secure ourselves, we're putting our treasure on earth. We don't have to be. We've been freed from that. I think earlier in the sermon, when I was reading about, or uh, talking about, while well, I was reading, because this is my manuscript, but about, about um, people who give their money to the church and to the gospel mission and how their heart follows those things, my sense is every single one of us in this room who has true faith heard me, heard me say that. And there was a little part of you that was like, yes, I want to be more free of my possessions. I want, I want to be able to be more excited day in and day out about what Christ is doing in this world to free other sinners from their sin and slavery than I am about my own little world and my own little kingdom and how I look and how I feel and whether or not I'm gonna be okay. I think every single one of us wants to live more wildly into that kind of life. But when we go out and we try in our own strength and our own power to live wildly into that kind of life, it will be impossible. And so in this passage, God is offering us Christ. He's offering us union with him through faith. He's offering us the one who did this perfectly, who gave up all the treasures of heaven to make earthly treasures heavenly treasures. He's offering us the one who is the light of the world, who can, who can create light inside our heart, cause us to go in light-filled ways and to want light-filled things. Right? And, and as we keep our gaze on him, right, remember, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. So God is saying, behold my son. Behold my son who lived and died for you and who made you his treasure, who is the light of the world and who is your master and whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for showing us our sin today. Thank you for opening our hearts and cracking us open to the reality that yes, we are so inclined to care for ourselves by putting our treasure on this earth. Thank you for opening our eyes and mind to the reality that our eyes go towards things of this earth and that we're willing to live as if we're still slaves to sin. Thank you also for showing us Christ and all that he's done to save us. May he fill our hearts, may he shine from our eyes, And may we love that he's our master. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.